0: Well, we're continuing our uh, series this morning on heaven, and um, as we've kind of been making our way through this uh, this series, I've noticed that the the, uh, the questions that you have are not the questions that I'm answering. That's a problem. It's actually one of those things that happens when you when you when you say heaven, and you mention the subject, people start asking you know, the really practical questions, like, "Will there be beer in heaven?" Or you know, one of the questions that we'll look at this morning is, "Will there be marriages in heaven?" What are relationships going to be like? Here's one of the questions. Will I remember all the terrible things that happened in life? Will I will I remember the bad things? Will I remember being taunted and teased as a kid in elementary school? Told that I had a, a beak. Um will will those be things that will that will come up? Well, what what Really, the question we're asking, what are relationships going to be like? Will we even have them? Will we need them? So this morning, I I want to try and answer one of those sort of practical questions that gets asked, and that is, what does does heaven and relationships look like? So when you get together and you meet somebody for the first time and you sit down with them, so let's let's say it's, it's two couples, right? You know, one of the questions is, you usually start so, so tell us, how did you meet, right? You, you, in order to understand what that relationship kind of looks like now and, and to build a relationship with people, you, you go way back and you, you typically start, you know, tell, tell us about the beginning. Cause you know, if they met a, you know, I, I mean, you know, there's places that they met, well, you're going to learn something right away. Um, And I love it when they ask that question, because when they ask Jody and I, so how did you guys meet? There's always this this moment like, are are you going to tell them? (laughs) And so I would say, well, Jody was dating my best friend. (laughs) To which the next question is always, is he still your best friend? Um, So to understand this whole relationship connection, heaven and relationships, we kind of have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back and ask a question of the initial start of relationships, and and we want to do that by going back to the garden. What is the garden, the garden of Eden, the beginning of the story, Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, what does that tell us about the end? about the end story. And and we do learn something when we go back there, because when we go back to the beginning, we discover that Adam and God had this relationship in which God and Adam walked and talked together in the garden. Remember? And so God had created Adam. He created him perfect. He placed his image in Adam, and they had... A really good relationship such that they had this communication and and God and Adam met together. And then, before the fall ever happens, God looks at Adam and what does he say? It is not good for him to be alone. And we talked about this when we made our way through the book of Genesis a couple of years ago. But just think about that. Because that tells us something really significant about Adam and his relationship with God. God looked at Adam and he said, look, our relationship is good, but that's not enough. I want you to have more. And so he made Eve and they were husband and wife and they had a relationship. And then they had children and there were other relationships and those relationships multiplied. And remember that part of their calling was that they were to they were to um, multiply and have dominion over the over the earth, and and all of that indicates relationships. And so what we see then is prior to the fall, God takes Adam and he puts him in relationship with another person, and that he says was very good. Now, that tells us a lot. It tells us that in eternity, it, it it sounds really super spiritual to say, you know, once we get to heaven, we're not going to care about all of that stuff. We're not going to care about relationships. We're just going to care about worshiping God. And, and Marion talked about worship last week, right? And it's more than that. That's at the center of everything, right? Much the way that uh, we talk about being quorum Deo, before the face of God, in all of life. right? Much in which, uh, you know, the same way that the Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you do it all. How? For the glory of God, right? And so what is he saying? He's saying, okay, well, there's a, a specific defined worship that we do now. This is corporate worship. But in a sense, for the Christian, all of life is what? Worship. Right? Because we're doing it before the face of God, before the throne of God. And so, in, in, in a sense, when we think about our relationships then, we have these relationships and they're before the face of God, but they're relationships. We're meeting with people. We're exchanging with people. And, and all of that is good. And all of that... Doesn't just go away. It doesn't just evaporate because God made us for relationships, and not just with Himself, but with each other. And so, the Garden before the Fall tells us a lot about what eternity, what we, what we can expect with respect to the new heavens and the new earth. And what we can expect is relationships. Will continue. Now I've just blown it for some of you. You're like, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> Thanks, Norma. <laughs> yeah, some of you are like, I was really, come on. All the introverts in here were like, darn it. You're going to have to keep trying at this? <laughs> Yes, we have to keep trying, because God has made us for relationships. And so the indications through Scripture, and we're going to look at those, are that relationships matter. Remember, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two were intricately connected, as if loving God precipitates a relationship with other people loving others being in relationship with others okay and, and and think about that loving god intricately linked with loving your neighbor such that loving god and and moving on to the new heavens and the new earth And and finally, having this completed relationship with God the Father, it doesn't just cause all of those relationships to evaporate. It causes all those relationships to be what they finally could and should be. We'll talk more about that when we get to the end. So here's this first point. What does the garden tell us? The garden tells us God made us for relationships and that they don't automatically evaporate or, and go away when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, which here, we'll just let's just talk about it as eternity, right? Because we've already been through what happens when we die and then what happens when Christ returns. And we know that we end up in the new heavens and the new earth, whatever that looks like. And so we'll just talk about that as eternity. And so the garden tells us, That in the first garden, created for perfection, with God at the center of it all, relationships were a priority. And God made us for that. Now, some people imagine that they can love God and they don't and, and they don't have to love people. But we 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 know that's not that that's not a reality. If you love God, you will automatically love people. And you will be in relationship with them. So let's move to this, to, uh, to the second point. What, what is kind of the, the current state of affairs as we think about those relationships? And, and I want to kind of make the case at this point that as we're created for relationships, that, that shows up in scripture actually. So if you have your Bibles, you, you may want to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse seventeen. Again, this is somewhat different than the way we normally work our way through scripture, right? Because what we're doing is we're we're working systematically through the scripture. So we're we're bouncing around a little bit um, to try and pick up the parts and pieces. But first, uh, first Thessalonians chapter two, listen to what Paul says beginning in verse seventeen. But brothers and sisters. When we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly, I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. And then he says this, Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now, this just sounds like, um, again, this is one of those places in Scripture, you're going to read through this generally, you're not going to, you're not going to really think a whole lot about it, but here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, look, brothers and sisters, church at Thessalonica, we have this relationship. I love you, okay? And and he says, even though we were separated and we were orphaned, I had an intense longing to be with you. I wanted to come and spend time with you. I, I wanted that relationship to continue to be kindled and, and everything um, like that, but Satan blocked our way, and then, as if to convince them right to to impress on them, no, really, I really wanted to be with you, and the reason that I really wanted to be with you is this: when Christ appears, hey, what is that that 's the second coming that 's the new heavens and the new earth, hey, when Christ appears you will be my glory and joy. Now think about that. Because what he's saying is, my investment in you and the work of Christ in you to advance holiness and godliness in your life, to to see the transformation of your person, all of that, you as a person will be The end all and the be all, if you want to say it that way, for me in the consummation of all things. When he wraps up the package and it's all said and done, you're the thing that I'm going to point to. He's not going to point to his sermons. He's not going to point to the fact that he wrote, you know, nearly half of the New Testament. He is going to say, you are our my joy And the crown of my glory in the consummation and the appearing of Christ at the end of all things. That's how much relationships matter. When Jesus appears, the thing that will be Paul's joy is that he has relationships with them in Christ. Here's how how Eugene Peterson writes it in the message. Listen to this, because he... He puts a little bit of that translation on it as he writes. He says, do you have any idea how very homesick we became for you, dear friends? Even though it hadn't been that long and it was only in our bodies that we were separated from you, not our hearts, we tried our very best to get back to see you. You can't imagine how much we missed you. I, Paul, tried over and over to get back, but Satan stymied us each time. Who do you think we're going to be proud of when our Master Jesus appears, if it's not you? You are our pride and joy. Now let's just ask a practical question. If they are Paul's pride and joy, and that relationship is such, and Paul then talks about the appearing of Christ Jesus and the consummation of all of that, does it make any sense... At all that it would just evaporate. Not one single bit. Because what Paul is saying is, I can't wait until the end of all things when this relationship is as it should be. And everything is sewed up and the work that he's begun is complete in you and there we are. Now, what difference does it make at that point if Paul has a relationship with them? If, how can they possibly be his joy And the crown of his delight at the end of all things, if he doesn't even know who they are. It can't. Because we do know. Because we will experience. We will continue in relationships that have begun. Paul does this another time. Remember when we were at at the end of the book of Acts. He does this with respect to what happens here and now matters in the new heavens and the new earth. And here's how he does it at the end of his life. So remember, at the end of 2 Timothy, there is Paul. He's in some sort of house arrest. He knows that death is nearly imminent, and so he's writing and he's asking that um that they would bring things to him, remember? And so he asked for his cloak and his books and his parchments. And we said, what sense does that make at the end of Paul's life that he would be wanting to read books? I mean, like, they're coming to take you to the guillotine. Hey, can I have a copy of People magazine? Or can I, you know, I would really like one last time to read Ephesians. For crying out loud. Well, oh, he wouldn't have read it. That was what we would say. He's going to die. But it makes sense if you carry into the new heavens and the new earth the knowledge and the understanding of the world which you currently have, which is scary for some of us. Does that make sense? Here's, here's what's not going to happen, I'm pretty sure. You're not going to enter the new heavens and the new earth. I'm not going to enter the new heavens and the new earth and suddenly understand physics and geometry and algebra. It is not going to happen. You you don't just suddenly become an an all-enlightened creature because you're in the new heavens and the new earth. You are you. And you will continue that growth and that experience of learning and understanding in the new heavens and the new earth. You might not be as frustrated in your learning, but it will continue. The Apostle Paul gives us this same sort of sentiment in Philippians chapter 1. And Tom read it for us, but just look at it. Philippians chapter 1 verse 3. And then he says this, verse 7, It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains, defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me, and God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless, For the day of Christ, at which time all relationships will vanish and will have nothing to do with each other. That's not what he says. Until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. You see that anticipation? The anticipation is. I want to see you growing and growing and growing and us growing together because I had this deep and longing and affection for you. And his anticipation is that when it happens in Christ, it's completed, but the relationships aren't done. And that's the hope that he is carrying on. When Jesus appears, all of those things will come together. Will relationships matter at the end? You bet. They will matter because God created us for them. And they will matter because that is part and parcel of the work that He is doing in us. Our relationships, one author said, are the work, are the workshops Of heaven in our lives. And here's what they meant by that. Our relationships are the primary place where the work of our future glory is being worked out. Our relationships are the workshops of heaven. Meaning, they are the primary place where the work of God's glory, your salvation... Is being worked out in your relationships for the hope of future glory. You know what that means? The, the biggest sanctifying tool we have in life is sitting around you and near you and is here and there and yawn. It's relationships. How else are, how else will we grow In our relationship with Christ. But via our relationships with one another. We won't. And what sense does it make that he would grow us, right? He would have us in that workshop. Only to get to the very end and then poof. None of it matters. It doesn't. Because this is what he created us for. He created us for Relationships. And those relationships are the primary defining tool in our sanctification. I think this is why, I mean, I don't know. I think this is why, I think this is why we withdraw from people. Because it's, it is it is the one really good thing in our lives that kind of brings out, I mean, you don't really know you're a sinner. You don't really know you're a sinner until you're in that relationship. It's typically a marriage relationship, but not always. But you don't really know it until then. And then you've, then you realize it. Usually. Some of us get it. Some of us don't. You know what I'm talking about. Because the relationships pull out of us and draw out of us and and reveal in us the broken parts of who we are they just do add add children to the mix and those kinds of relationships and we're not just talking about spousal relationship that's clearly an identifiable one of the main relationships but there are so many other relationships and they all they all do something to us they all reveal something in us And sometimes that's really difficult and challenging, especially if you don't have that view. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. So all of those, uh, all of those relationships are for us a place where God is doing that work of grace in us. One author says this. For the sins which so often made us tremble are washed away in the blood of Jesus and are therefore no longer a source of trouble. The remembrance of them rather intensifies our love for God of mercy and therefore increases our happiness. Now, I will tell you, some of this is speculation. Some of it is by good inference from scripture, but remembering the difficulties, remembering the challenges as this author says, remembering, right, even though our sin is washed away from the by the blood of Christ, our remembrance of it causes the mercy of God and the grace of God to intensify, thereby increasing our joy. So having a knowledge of who you are and the struggles you've had and the relationship difficulties that we've gone through once in glory those memories intensify our joy and delight why because grace is seen as unadulterated love and God that God has shown towards us does that make sense like you will finally and fully realize how bad it was by how good it is experiencing his grace in that way. Him, having finally completed the work that he began in you, intensifies your joy and delight because you know how bad you really were. Tracking? It's just a, Give me a no if, if we're not tracking. Yeah, maybe a little. So, that knowledge of your relationships and the relationships themselves bring clarity to how amazing God's grace is. Now, one of the common questions, as we just kind of finished this middle section, one of the common questions is, what about marriage? And actually, we don't have to guess. If you have your Bibles, you go to Luke chapter 20, verse 27. This will delight some of you and disappoint others. Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 27. We'll just read this little section together. Some of the Sadducees, you know why they call them Sadducees, right? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. All right, terrible. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Verse 33, now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she, it's like a riddle, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Verse 34, Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children since since they are children of the resurrection. Some of the teachers of the law responded, verse 39, Well said, teacher. And no one dared ask him any more questions. Now the one part of this section that I want to really be clear on is, we're not going to become angels. Got it? Like angels. How so? We don't die and we don't marry. He says, you'll be like the angels. You will not be angels. None of you. Okay? No harp, no wings, no angels. Everybody repeat after me. We will not be angels. Okay. Um, but you will be like angels. And the way, the two ways in which we will be like the angels is we won't marry and we won't die. Now, um, again, this is going to be disappointing because some of you have worked long and hard at your marriage and you'd finally like it to be perfect. Um and that relationship will, will be perfect, however God's design for that is for us, but it won't be marriage perfect. Um, and, and here is something perhaps of the reason. And the reason lies, if you look at Ephesians chapter 6, that when Paul talks about marriage between a man and a woman, what does he say about it? he says he's going on and on about marriage and he says and I'm not talking about marriage I'm talking about Christ and the church and at that point what Paul is telling us is marriage is marriage is a picture it's different it's something of a shadow and it's a shadow of the relationship between Christ and his church and so the speculation is and and, and I think it makes good sense is that There's no marriage in the end because the marriage is between us and Christ. Because marriage is that love, right? And so Paul talks about spouses loving each other, husbands laying down their lives. And then he says what? As Christ did for the church, okay? And so there's a sense in which Christ knows us so well and we will be fully Real, that, that relationship with Christ will be fully realized at the consummation such that there won't be this need for us any longer to have a spouse. Someone that knows us that, that well and is that connected to us because we will be that connected and that well known by Christ Himself. Does that make sense? It's challenging. It, it's, it's one of those things that when you think on is hard to imagine and, and hard to understand that, that we won't need. Because relationships are so good, right? And we go all the way back to the garden. What does the garden tell us? Well, we were made for relationships. And the best relationship I have is my spouse. And that relationship's not going to go forward, not in the same way here as there. But we, but we know this about relationships. They only get better in heaven. So whatever whatever we're missing out on now will be perfected there. And unfortunately, we don't get a full explanation. Christ doesn't give us a full explanation of exactly why that is. But he only answers the question. I think it's, I think what that means is this. The one central relationship in our lives to which marriage now points is the relationship between us, the church, individually and corporately, and Christ. And when that relationship is made right and it's finally set and it's good, 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 all of the other relationships will be better, but different and they'll be okay and they'll be good. Here's here's how I would uh here's how as I thought through it how I would describe it. We like to take Kylie to the park. And um and when we go to the park, typically what happens is we go and we sit at the picnic table. And I used to you know what we're trying to do is give her some independence this isn't please i'm not trying to be a cruel parent by sending her off to play and fall down slides and all that but 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 what we want is for her to become a little more independent so we sit at the picnic table now whereas used to we went to each and so we're at the picnic table and Kylie runs off and she goes and she plays Now, let's just say she was a normal, you know, kind of did things the way other children would do. She would go and she would interact with other kids around the slide and the bridge and this part and that part. But what she always does is she always circles back around to us, right? So she comes back by us very regularly, and and that's just to check in, connect, make sure everything's good, and as she comes back to us and she knows that relationship is great, then she goes off to those other relationships and, and she can interact at all of those levels. Why? Because that central relationship for her is set and is good. Does that make sense? And so, heavenly speaking, the central relationship is good. Therefore, all the other relationships matter and they are good too. Just not the same kind of good. You tracking with me? Because the primary relationship is Christ and His Church, Christ bought you, He redeemed you, He He paid for us, He is bringing us all the way home, and that is very good. All right, here's our final point, and this is this is just kind of some practical things, hard but practical, and that is how does the thought of eternity and relationships. there affect us here now in a couple of ways, um, and I would encourage you. It's a really, really helpful chapter in Paul David Tripp's book on eternity. He has a section specifically on relationships. Marvelous chapter, kind of a mind-blowing chapter actually, and and um, some of the things that he 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 does is he. He just helps to think about what does eternity have? How does eternity and thinking on heaven help relationships now? I'm just going to give you three ways um, this morning. Here's the first one: eternity tells us where our hope is found. Right? Because sometimes in relationships, we're tempted here and now to have our relationships do what only eternity can do, which is why we have a longing for something more. So we have a longing for heaven that's been placed within us, and that signals to us and tells us now, don't burden unnecessarily your relationships here with, on, with what only eternity can provide for you. Are you with me? Your relationships here are good and they're meaningful, but the happiness and security that we are ultimately looking for is found only in God and our relationship with Christ. Only there and only in eternity is that fully and finally complete. And if you put the weight of that glorious finality on your relationships now to provide for you, you will crush them. And, and you will be disappointed because your relationship, what, all of them, none of them can bear that responsibility. Here's the second one. Eternity calls us to patience and grace in relationships. Eternity calls us to patience and grace in relationships. Relationships, and this is my term, are the transformational time machine. <laughs> I didn't know how else to put it, right? And what I mean by that is relationships are that thing which is transforming us into what we will one day be. So you're in relationships, and those relationships, friendship, when I say relationships, familial relationships, spousal relationships, child, parent, all of those are in the process of transforming you. They're like a giant rock tumbler, right? I mean, you, you, we all just get tossed in and that tumbler goes around and takes off all the rough edges and, and that's what relationships do for us. They transform us. And here are two realities about that transformation. First, everyone needs it. And second, it is always a process. Everyone needs transformation, and it's always a process. And because of that, we deal graciously with each other. Even when we, even when there's issues and we've gotta go to somebody, we've gotta talk to them, right? Going with that, with that, I've got a log in my own eye, let me get the speck out of your eye idea that Jesus taught us, is so very critical, important, right? You go to somebody, going, "Look, I'm a rough, jagged piece of granite, okay, but, but I, I want to encourage you. I want to help you. You see, transformation is needed by all of us, and it's a process. And here's the third and final one: the hope of eternity invites us to not." settle for less the hope of eternity invites us to not settle for less and here's what that here's what that means what that means is with that new heaven and that new earth set out there in which relationships will be perfected as it sets there and you're and we're working our way through relationships here the hope of that means don't settle. Keep pushing. Keep striving. Keep interacting. It's 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 so easy, one to walk away. Two to not engage to stick our hand in the sand, our hand, our head, and or hands in the sand. Uh, to stick our head in the sand and to not continue. Right? Sometimes we feel like we're beating our head against the wall. Some of us do that, and we do it really well. But what we want to continue to do is, is work, right? Why? Because he's not done working on us until the day of completion in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul was pushing towards, both to the Philippians and to the Thessalonians. And because of that, I think he would say to all of us, don't stop your pursuit of good relationships. The hope of that finality is out before us. And we want to stay engaged in the process. And that's that. Look, I know. I know you have more questions. Um, And if you've got those really detailed questions, um, Randy Alcorn's book on heaven is a good place to go because he really kind of gets down into some nitty gritty of that. Um, Stuff that we can't do in a 30 30-minute sermon. But um, but here's the idea. The idea in general is relationships matter because they're the greenhouse where God's grace works on us. They're the rock tumbler in our lives. And the hope of eternity and good relationships there causes us to stay engaged in the game now. And all of that Right. Our relationships and the growth and grace in them is a reflection of uh, the work that Christ has done for us. Right. We do it because he's at work in us to willing to do according to his good pleasure. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for this morning. And fathers, we've come to this passage, as we've come to this, these, this idea um, we know, and I know in this room this morning, there are many, all of us, every one of us has had difficult relationships. And we have currently difficult relationships in which we all play a role. And so, Father, I pray that you'll be at work in those and you will help us, enable us to press into them and not to run from them, to learn and to grow, to be challenged. And to be reminded that we are all in need of transformation. And that Christ is not finished with us yet. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a little hymn.